Fresh blood is red, and dead lips are blue. We cut out our hearts and give them to you. go to a therapist like just to see it's all right so this is just this is just strange to me they are either disappearing in the night being taken directly from their bedrooms so he was surrounded by trash bags containing chunks of flesh is that you and me as elderly I'm people yeah. <laughs> like she's about to do after, like, <laughs> and she in fact has done her things right Around, she was bitten, and she were a lot more sinister. The legend of the, or the practice of the jack lantern stems from this urban legend or this fucking tale from Ireland. You were trying so hard to avoid candy off of embraces my apartment, now giving it towards the children. Hello, hello. Hi, guys. You are listening to the very first episode of the Haunted Heart Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Haunted, Haunted Heart, Heart Podcast. Podcast, a show of complete fuckery, and we've been doing it for a whole year. A whole year. It's our birthday. It's our birthday. Hey, girl. Some of you guys might remember and we we're launched. We're going to cry if we want to. <laughs> yeah. And we've been crying this no, week. No. Yes, we have. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we launched the show Valentine's Day 2018, uh-huh. and here we are, still fucking doing this, to be honest with you. I didn't think we would be, girl. <laughs> Episode 51. It was supposed to have been 52, but, um, you know, because there are 52 weeks in a year, and we release weekly, and, you know. Except we for- almost made it. <laughs> almost. We we almost made it. But not quite. But Actually, not I think quite. it would have been 53, because we did two non-episodes. No, it would have been 52. Really? Because yeah. I went... Remember no, when because I went to that Nevada? one time, the first non-episode that we did, we released yeah. an, the correct episode for that week after that, oh. making it that official episode. Oh, okay. But so this past one, we didn't. Mm. <laughs> we just left it at the, the other non-episode. <laughs> we just pissed everybody off. <laughs> uh, Jesus. No. It's been a crazy, crazy ride this whole year. It has. Um, I almost can't believe it's been a year, TBH. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe we've been talking at you guys for a fucking year. I'm gonna tell you what, and here's what I did. Um, I did something. I uh, figured up the amount of hours. Oh. They have been listening to us for approximately 55 hours, 46 minutes, and 36 seconds. And that was one more second mm-hmm. just now. In that time frame, you could have become certified in CPR. Did you, is this legit? Like you looked up things that you could, (laughs) here's everything you could have done that would have been more useful than listening to our podcast. You could have become certified in CPR. Uh, You could have volunteered at your local food bank and uh, donated your time to uh, the local food shortage. (laughs) 
<laughs> the local food shortage. Good. Or you could have signed up for a pottery class and learned a new skill, but instead, you listen to us for that amount of time. You know what? Though I've sworn that I will never uh, learn how to do pottery unless Patrick Swayze teaches me <laughs> in that montage from Ghost, and yeah. so it looks like I'm never learning. Unless he's interested in visiting me in the afterlife, well, which I'm open to. Yep. Actually, it would be appropriate. It would be. Being from the film Ghost. Yes, it would be. It so would I'm waiting be highly for that. Appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. That'll be the day that I become a potter uh, is, when, is when that occurs. So but, she will never become a potter. And you don't that know. I am thankful for. I got dreams. <laughs> no, listen, we started out, our first episode was Jilted Lovers. Uh, and I believe also on that episode, we had background noise. <laughs> we did. Someone is fucking weed eating today. So if you hear that, um, I'm sorry. Uh, they clearly don't know that it is our year anniversary episode, mm-hmm. Palooza, that we put together for you guys and worked really hard on. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, but just take it, you know. On this year-long ride that we've been on, there have been ups, there have been downs, there have been weed eaters, there's been frat parties. And there's been frat parties, there's been cops. <laughs> there has been cops. So. There have been cops called, uh, yeah, uh, lots of lots of ups and downs. Um, I'd have to say, what was one of your favorite episodes? Like, what do you, what do you, what's one of your favorites that we did, that we've done? I really liked the cannibalism episode. That was fun. But I think that was more fun for me than for everybody else because <laughs> everybody else didn't get to hear your story and it was really awesome. Yep. yep. As far as uh, things that other people know about and not just us, um, one of my favorites was uh, the Mother's Day episode when we did co- coffin births. Oh, Remember? yeah. 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 That was cool. That, that was, was fun. Particularly gruesome it was it was really the type of thing that stays with you in the night when you're trying to sleep and all you can think about is bodies bursting forth with undead fetuses Mm -hmm. and then you have to just breathe through that yeah and call your therapist in the morning i um i really appreciated the night terrors episode that's been one of my favorites actually uh episode two terror in the night and i really enjoy those that little series that we've got going on which i'm sure we'll expand upon yeah uh, yeah. and do different you know terror in the whatever (laughs) series terror in in katie's bedroom um (laughs) (laughs) which is a a, uh, regular story uh that's generally the theme um in there but no i also had a personal horror story in that one which i really liked so yeah. With my sleep, you know. Uh, and we yeah, both shared them, so story. that's what yeah. I really appreciated was that it was a little personal, so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was awesome. But we are so thankful that you guys have stuck around with us. Um, for those of you that haven't, fuck you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just you're not here to hear that. Wholeheartedly. So you're not here to, to hear that. So if, you ha- if you've been there, we love you. If not, sashay away. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. hard feelings. <laughs> Except all of them. Mm-hmm. So what are we what are we talking about today on our on our year anniversary episode? Well, you know we like to keep it. We're always topical. We love a theme. <laughs> we, we love, love a, theme. a topical theme party. It's what we're about. Well, so obviously we're releasing this. I believe it's going to be the day before Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, Valentine's Day is on Thursday. Yes. Um what are your thoughts on Valentine's Day? Um 
I mean, it's cool. I uh, I like because on our original episode, I don't think we ever really mentioned anything about Valentine's. No, we Day. just we just low keyed it. You you ain't got to be high key all the time. We were low key. We were subtle. You know. Yeah. Anyway, um, no, I think uh, Valentine's Day is a lot of people hate on it. Because they're like, well, you should love your significant other if you have a significant other. Oh, now we've added a yippee dog. Yeah, so of course. So you can hear that. That's great. Um, it's a medley that we have going on for you. A, a weed eater and a, and a yapping dog. A symphony, if you will. So a lot of people shit on Valentine's Day because they're like, well, if you have a significant other, you should love that person every day. And you should tell them every day that you love them and blah, 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 blah. But life is hard and shit gets complicated. And I do like that there's one day of the year where not just your significant other, but anybody that you care about that you love... It's like a reminder to just reconnect with them and be like, "Hey, you a real one. I love you. Glad you're yeah. part of my glad you're part of my gang or whatever." Um, so I I'm I feel generally pretty positive about it. Yeah, I mean, it I can take it or leave it. It's one of those things where I definitely agree that you know you should show your your loved ones that you love them every single day. But I feel like it's a day where you can go like an extra step. Right. You know what I, I mean, I, mean, I kind of like that. That's I mean, just in case shit is really busy, shit is really complicated or whatever, you can like take a day and be like, oh, I have people around me that fucking love me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's just that extra step for me. Um, but yeah. I, do I partake in that? No. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it is what also, it is. Also, fucking, here's what I celebrate religiously the day after Valentine's Day because half, half price, price fucking candy, candy everywhere. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Husky times day. I'm going to tell you girl. what, though. I don't really like Valentine's Day candy all that much because you always get, I don't like the sort of chocolates that you get because they get that, you get that nasty medley of bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, what's the first of all chocolates and cherries fucking disgusting yeah, no you can fight me on yeah it. yeah separately they're unless, amazing no unless it's like tempered chocolate that you've tempered over the stove and you're dipping like real actual fresh fucking cherries into it and then eating them and spitting out pits like that's the only way it's acceptable the shitty like maraschino cherries and chocolate the queen Anne's, the fucking nastiest fuck <laughs> the queen and the queen Anne that has cherries. like a maraschino cherry dipped in chocolate but around it is like a fucking membrane of like cum i don't know what it is it's so nasty it's there's like so cum. much liquid it's cherry cum not nowhere near that amount of liquid needs to be in a chocolate covered cherry no those are disgusting um or you get but the, the fresh is really good or you get some other weird ones too that i don't know like the the uh not strawberries but they're like raspberry yeah, or like raspberry yeah. cream. i'm like Ugh, yeah, yeah. fucking disgusting so i don't really like valentine's day chocolates i don't like getting them if you give me a box of chocolates i will it will sit on my counter no but they have they're months. addressing that though because like lint lint um truffles makes like a little valentine's day assortment so like if you know where the good stuff is you can get you some good good mm. still not a fan and they also like Reese's has like little hearts that they well, do. Well, those now. are year round. I mean, yes, the yeah, Reese's, they have, like, but the Valentine's hearts. Yeah, but the pumpkin is the better. Is the I mean, better definitely, one. we're not. That's not I, an the argument. The pumpkin and the Easter egg is a close second. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's not an argument. I would agree with you. Pumpkin, Easter egg, and then whatever the shit. I mean, I'm just saying, fifty percent off a bitch is not going to turn her nose up. Okay, that's true. Okay, that's true. But yeah, you can keep the well. Rest of it's, it's funny though that you mentioned um, you said the word religiously. Um, cause I'm diving into some of that today. Oh. Some of our, uh, reasons why, you know, we celebrate Valentine's Day, which is pretty gruesome, actually. Cool. I'm into know. it. Um, 
Yeah, so we actually celebrate the day uh, from this guy. His name was Saint Valentine. I could not have guessed. (laughs) Saint Valentine. So he was this old priest guy, you know, back in ancient Rome. And he used to minister to Christians that were actively being persecuted at the time. Side note, Christians were persecuted in part because people thought that they were incestuous, loving cannibals because they were feasting on the flesh of Christ. Oh, but it's a metaphor. Yeah. Like it was just a metaphor. Yeah. But that wasn't communicated. So you just have, I mean, can you imagine just being your everyday Roman pagan sitting at home and relishing in your absolute limitless paternal power? And so, <laughs> oh, you can't, but I could. Or you're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, but I can't. In which case, you're fucked. <laughs> like, uh, And some Christian comes knocking on your door and you get up from reading your daily forum and Times New Roman font, no less. That's what I imagine. <laughs> and you answer the door. That was good. And you, you've got someone who goes, excuse me, sir, wouldst thou like to partake in the feast of this flesh? What would you say? I mean, me being a, listen, 2019, we out here doing it. We got some New Year's resolutions. I'm trying to be a lean-in type of bitch. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't feel the need to disclose my answer publicly, but I am working on being more of a lean-in type of bitch. Okay. And being on time. One of those things is going well. We don't know which, though. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So, yeah, I would probably uh, not answer the door. (laughs) I just awkwardly just stand there and. Hold my hand over my wife's face. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's 278 years. Well, like after- how you said my wife, like it wouldn't fucking be ancient Rome version of me. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be probably. Like at any time you'd marry anyone who, any woman who wasn't me. Yeah, like- <laughs> I came back in this life as a gay man because God was like, we're going to put a stop to this. It's too much power. <laughs> <laughs> too much power. <laughs> So it's 278 years after Christ sashayed away. And you've got this emperor, Claudius, who is kind of a piece of shit. He became emperor after the assassination (laughs) of his nephew, Caligula. (laughs) Which is a bomb-ass name. Yeah. Uh, And was described as being extremely dim-witted, even by his own mother. Damn. Yeah. Uh, She had this to say about her son. Quote, he is a monster, a man whom Mother Nature had begun to work upon, but then flung aside. (laughs) Wow. His own mother. And his grandmother wasn't uh, much better than that. She couldn't even look him in the face. (laughs) Why? I don't know. And Well, when it was predicted that he would be the next emperor, uh, she prayed that the Roman Empire would be spared such a cruel and undeserved misfortune. Wow. <laughs> Lots of family love going on there. Really strong, close-knit family here. That's rough, man. When when your own mama says you And your shit, grandma. <laughs> and your grandmama said you Your grandma's supposed to be the one to take up for you. She Mm-mm. said, no, nah, fuck that. I know my grandmama took up for me. She said, you better let that baby eat as many biscuits as she wants. And that is why I am fat to this day. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Same. Uh, 
but what's interesting about this guy is his dim-wittedness was actually uh, a mask. It was kind of like a, a power play mm. on his part um, in order to survive and eventually become emperor. And once he did become emperor, uh, he did prove to be an extremely efficient leader, um, but was notably very ruthless, mm. um, having eventually earned himself the moniker of Claudius the Cruel. And like many leaders, he dealt with lots of paranoia mm-hmm. and just bad things. And those bad things caused him to do more bad things. Yeah, it's sometimes. kind of funny how like when really, really bad people are in power, they're like really, really paranoid about losing mm-hmm. power and they like project a lot of like mm-hmm. paranoia about losing said power and they communicate a lot yeah. about how everybody else is really terrible. Yeah. They just communicate it really loudly like on big social platforms yeah. that everyone else is beneath them. Yeah. It's just kind of funny how that's a theme that just kind of repeats in history. We see it throughout history. A yeah. lot. We we do we do see it. We see it. And we also see the subtlety <laughs> in this podcast right now. <laughs> so this guy, he led many successful campaigns, with air quotes, which we know as Roman talk for war and mm. rape and pillage and, mm. you know, really horrible, true, vile things. A campaign, you know. Uh, and <laughs> Vile. <laughs> vile. Campaigns. <laughs> yes. It's landing. <laughs> And he really prided himself on having a a very strong army. Thing is, is that it was hard for him to get young men to join his army. Uh, Claudius believed that the only reason nobody wanted to join his army was because of women. (laughs) I'm sorry, come again? Yeah, it was because of women. Just us? Yeah. Cool. It was women. Yep. You know, that's usually the problem. He thought that romantic attachments made men weak and less likely to join the army or fight for a cause. Uh, So to curb this, Claudius thought it would be a brilliant idea to ban all marriages and engagements. Couldn't have them. Couldn't do it. Not allowed. How are you going to have babies, though? We didn't think that far ahead. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm just wondering, like, we still fucking or... I'm sure they're still fucking. Okay. Um, but you just, you can't get married. You just can't fuck on a committed level. You can't, exactly. Okay. You can't be in love. Okay. You can just fuck. Okay. Also a thing. You know what? <laughs> that, we have, <laughs> that we see throughout history, even <laughs> today. You know, I mean, sometimes it bees like that. Right. So then you have this this fucking guy, Valentine, right? Mm-hmm. He walked his happy ass right on up, said, no, ma'am, not today. And he started defying the emperor by performing secret weddings for couples. But he was eventually discovered and Claudius had him sentenced to death. Valentine was executed on February 14th in the year 270 when he was brutally beaten before having his head chopped off. Right off, clean, clear. Right off the chopping block. Now, legend has it that while in jail awaiting his sentence, Valentine became close friends with the jailer's daughter. And the night before he died, he is said to have left a goodbye note written to her and that it was signed from your Valentine, becoming the first Valentine's Day card ever written. Hmm. 
And then Valentine afterwards was recognized as a patron saint of love and eventually, uh, and was eventually given his own day, Valentine's Day, on February the 14th, which replaced a pagan festival called Lupercalia. Lupercalia, I think that's what it's called, which was essentially another pagan, bloody, sex-filled orgy honoring Judo, Juno, the goddess of fertility. So they put that right on top, and then, you know, now we celebrate Valentine's Day. Oh, hello, Cat. Podcat <laughs> has joined us on top of the table today. Podcat wants to be here for the year anniversary episode. He said, blood-filled sex orgy, what? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the history of Valentine's Day. And Lupercalia is actually uh, really super, uh, kind of super scary. There are There's lots of blood. Oh, really? There's, like, lots of blood involved with that. Mm-hmm. Lots mm-hmm. of blood. Um Lots of uh, slapping of women or whipping of women, I should say. So what you we got to do? We talking consensual yeah, or not? Yeah, no, it's oh, consensual. Okay. Awesome, so it, it started with Great. a no. It started with a. Uh, it started with a sacrifice. Uh huh. Um, because it kind of got probably a dog. not consensual. No. Okay. Um, of a, an animal, usually a goat or a dog, because okay. it was sometimes it was used in reference to the founding of Rome with like Romulus and Remus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would sacrifice a dog. Uh, which fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not, not about that. Essentially, like you would just have, um, like I said, lots of blood, lots of orgies, and men would whip the women. It would be like you, they run around naked, and the men would just have these whips and just like mm. <laughs> whip the women who would partake in these events. Mm. And I'm they f- would do sounds things, familiar. Yeah. yeah. And they would do things like uh, pick names from a jar. And whoever's name the men picked, the woman got to be with for the the week of the event. Okay. Um, for you know, study time, learning your alphabet, or any number of things. Or learning lots of things. Yeah. Oh, um, and then man. it eventually like got so watered down that um, they put clothes on, and then it just became like a smacking of the hands. I mean. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was funny uh, because at the same time that Claudius was ruling, um, he actually, like, we know that the church and, you know, the Romans had their issues. Right. Um, but this was actually one movement that they completely agreed upon because Claudius didn't, again, did not like the idea of, like, men and women frolicking because he thought it took them away out of, like, a, a mindset to fight mm-hmm. and be you know, a part of your country or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Christians were like, uh, no, this doesn't work for us. So they both sort of aligned in agreement. Um, and that's how Valentine's Day replaced uh, the blood-filled sex orgy. It's a goddamn shame. And it now is. we have potlucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we could have been pulling names out of a jar and beating the fuck out of each other consensually. And now we have Queen Anne chocolate-covered cherries and... Cheap Valentine's Day cheesecake, cheesecake and boxed cards and um, little fat baby cupids, hmm. which around. are creepy, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely, definitely creepy. Not it's still, but more creepy than like what was that movie in the nineties? Was it not My Bloody Valentine? Um, yeah, uh, not My Bloody Valentine. I think it was called Cupid. It was a horror movie. It was a slasher movie. Mm. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but the guy wore a cherub face mask, and it was very terrifying. 
Really? I think it was maybe called just like Valentine's Day or My Valentine or something like that. I'd have to look into it, but huh. yeah. Because My Bloody Valentine is fucking amazing. I love that movie. Yeah, it wasn't My Bloody Valentine. I love the original and I love the Jensen Ackles remake because oh, Jensen Ackles hot as fuck. fuck yes. And you know what? I do him, even in that movie. Oh no, it's fine. We'll be okay. Just go to the doctor, get us some medicine, and it'll be okay. Oh, it was Valentine, and it was in 2001. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Yeah, it's a good one. That's cool. We'll have to check that one out. So, yeah. Okay. So, what do you have in store for us today? Well, this is our one-year anniversary episode. Is it? I didn't know that. And uh, Yeah, it is. Breaking news. <laughs> so, I was kind of thinking in the vein of anniversaries. Um and at first I was thinking like, oh, well, probably there's like crazy stories about like people like kind of like a jilted lovers angle of like people being murdered on their anniversaries or whatever. So I kind of started doing research for that. Uh, found out there's actually not a lot of stories like that. Uh, what there is is a lot of really fucking sad stories of people like in horrible war torn countries who are like killed like by like warfare accidentally mm-hmm. yeah. on their anniversary so um that was a fucking bummer even for me and uh <laughs> so i didn't i sort of abandoned that route uh and then i realized that it's 2019 mm-hmm. and 2019 happens to be the 50th anniversary of the manson murders oh fuck so you didn't do that for our fifty, fiftieth, <laughs> our number fifty episode. You brought that shit here I did. last week, where you said, "Oh, we may or may not I cover did. that," and you brought it today. I did. God damn it! And interestingly enough, I did not like when we did the episode last week on the gradations of evil, and I was talking about Michael Stone's evil scale, and I talked about how he and I disagreed on. Charlie Manson, I did not know yet that I was going to be covering Charlie Manson this week. <laughs> I was like, we'll probably talk about that at some point. And so, then I realized that it's the 50th anniversary. So this is uh, kind of um, this is kind of a first for us because we don't typically cover, you know, larger, well-known we stuff. Right, because you know? there's a ton of podcasts that have covered well there's a ton of podcasts that have covered the big serial killers your bundies your gacy's like right. a lot of folks have talked about that a lot of folks can do the research better than us have more research resources than us to do that um but charlie manson is a special case because a lot of the research that i find about him tells a tale that i don't necessarily believe is true and a lot of my research today i'm going to walk you through this as a gift to you for one year. Is it a gift? It's something. Is it a gift? <laughs> it don't come with a gift receipt, honey, so you can't return it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you uh, might want to be telling our listeners that. Yeah. So a lot of coverage of Charlie Manson tells this story of this criminal mastermind, this like crazy, intelligent, charismatic, the same story that we're hearing right now about Ted fucking Bundy, right? Mm-hmm. I disagree. Unpopular opinion. Um, a lot of the research that I've done today was pulled from an amazing series that Last Podcast on the Left did on 
Charles Manson. Um, it's really funny. It's amazing. But listen to it after my story because it's better than me. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> let me go first. Um, but yeah, I have to give credit to Marcus um, and Henry and Ben for a lot of that research because, you know, they did a really great or job with it. fucking bomb as fuck. Yeah. yeah, they did a bomb as fuck job. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't heard it after this And episode. we're just going to do a bomb job. And, yeah. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to do the job that we can with what we have. All right? Okay. So that said, this is a, uh incredibly detailed story. There's a lot of details that we're going to kind of bounce over. So if you are a Manson head and I skip some details that are important to you, I'm very sorry. I'm sure you'll email me. <laughs> <laughs> Or leave a review. And now we're diving in. All right. I've got my swimming trunks on. Okay. So, Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1940... 19... Then I already fucked up. <laughs> 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 Let me get my Ken Burns voice on. No. Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1934, to 16-year-old Kathleen Maddox. November 12th. I think that makes him a Scorpio. Mm, that sounds about right for his personality. Definitely a Scorpio. Yeah. You know, they're very uh, sexual beings, mm-hmm. those people. I mean, and Manson loved the bush. <laughs> 100%. That's what the theme, the moral of this story is. is bush? He just fucking loved the bush. So uh, he's born to a 16-year-old mom, right? Single mom. Uh, he was first named No Name Maddox. And that is literally, <laughs> that is literally what's written on his birth certificate. <laughs> That has got to have some some effects. Severe psychological <laughs> consequences, resulting yeah. in a potential search for fame and identity for the rest of his life, which would eventually lead him down a murderous path. Who knows? Possibly. <laughs> Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> so he, yes, on his birth certificate, he's labeled no name Maddox, but within weeks, he was cha- he was called Charles Mills Maddox. Okay. So his biological father, uh, we're thinking, is Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. That's a long name. Yes. Uh, And the reason that people think that is because Kathleen Maddox filed a paternity suit against him, which resulted in uh, a judgment in 1937. But Manson, regardless, never knew his father. Um, This Scott, uh, Colonel Scott Sr. guy worked intermittently in local mills, but he did have a reputation for being a local con artist. Mm. So um, he basically allowed Kathleen Maddox to believe that he was an army colonel, although Colonel in his name was just his given name. Like literally his name was Colonel. Like Like his mama looked at him as a baby and said, Colonel. So like the colonel from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, yes. Like first name colonel, last name fried Scott chicken. Senior. <laughs> like, <laughs> last name Fried Chicken. Yes. So um, when she told him that she was pregnant, he told her that he had been called away on army business. You know. <laughs> you know when army business comes Oh, calling. really? That is just suspicious. So he was called away on army business and several months after she realized that he wasn't coming back. (laughs) Really? What gave her the clue? He won't coming back. Several months. (laughs) So a suspicious letter arrives and it's like, I'm sorry, but the colonel is dead. And it's just written in like crayon (laughs) (laughs) and spelled wrong. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 
love the admiral. Like, <laughs> love the U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> love Uncle Sam. So in August uh, 1934, right before Charlie Manson was born, uh, his mom, Kathleen, married William Eugene Manson, whose occupation um, listed on Charles' birth certificate was a laborer at a dry cleaning business. And Kathleen Maddox, let me tell you, she was a fun bitch. Oh, really? But a terrible mom. Okay. I think those two kind of go hand in hand sometimes. She, Hey, we both had fun moms that were good moms. Yeah, but I think that there's they're an anomaly. This is this is this is next level though. Um, Kathleen would go drinking. She would go on drinking. I think sprees. what you're thinking about is party mom. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> not fun mom, but party mom. Yeah, we had fun mom. Party mom is like where we're getting into some dangerous area. Yeah, you know what I mean. You don't yeah. you don't want to be party mom. No, you want to be fun mom. But it's a fine line. But if you are a party mom, please email us at the <laughs> podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. So Kathleen would go on drinking sprees for days at a time with her brother, Luther, and she would leave Charles with all kinds of different babysitters, whoever she could find to basically pawn them mm. off on for a couple hours. Um, she and William Eugene were divorced on April 30th, 1937, so the marriage lasted about a little, uh, a little less than three years when a court accepted William Eugene's charge of, quote, gross neglect of duty. Oh. Which I would have to agree with. Gross neglect of duty. Great. So uh, on August 1st of 1939, um, Kathleen is hanging out with Luther, her brother, and his girlfriend, Julia Vickers. And they had spent the evening drinking with a new acquaintance that they had made named Frank Martin. And Frank Martin appeared to be Mr. Moneybags. He, okay. had a lo- he had a little bit of coin. He had money. He had a little bit of coin. So Kathleen and her brother's girlfriend, Julie Vickers, decided to rob Frank. <laughs> and she phoned her brother. Kathleen phoned her brother to help. But they were like really fucking stupid thieves. Like they just did a terrible job and they were found out and arrested within hours. Okay. So they were taken to jail. Um, At the trial, seven weeks later, Luther, Kathleen's brother, was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and Kathleen was sentenced to five years. Uh So Manson, his mom has now gone to prison. Yeah. And he was placed in the home of an aunt uh, and uncle in McMechan, West Virginia. McMechan. 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 McMacken. Okay. You got to kind of mumble it a little bit. McMacken. You know, yeah, West Virginia way. Like you don't open your mouth quite. Yeah, McMacken. <laughs> I love you, West Virginia. I've spent a lot of time in you. Uh, so Kathleen's paroled in 1942. Manson stays with his aunt and uncle during that time. Um, and he says that the period right after Kathleen returns from prison, um, when they were all living with his aunt and uncle uh, in West Virginia, was the happiest time of his life. Hmm. Well, that's nice. Yes. Uh that is from his uh, book, uh, Manson, In My Own Words, or In okay. His Own Words. I think it's called In His Own Words. Um, a lot of this research is pulled from there, by the way. Oh. Manson, In His Own Words. It's oh. a good book. Okay. Read it. It's mostly bullshit, but that's Charlie Manson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, shortly thereafter, Manson's family moves to Charleston, West Virginia, where Manson continually played truant. Do you like that copy-paste word? Truant. <laughs> Truant. So Truant. He, that means he skipped school. Yes, 
uh, and his mother spent her evenings drinking. Was he going? So, so I've been to Charlestown. Mm-hmm. They've got a great casino there. Was he? No, were they hitting up no, the no, casinos? No, I don't think it's Charlestown. I think it's Charleston. Oh, I thought you said Charlestown. No, no, no. Charleston. Well, Charlestown has a great. It does. <laughs> casino Truly, it does. That you should go to um, if you don't have a gambling addiction. Yeah, if you don't. If you do, you know who you are. Don't go, please. It's a very specific call out. <laughs> All right. Um, so Kathleen spends her nights drinking. Not very long uh, after they get there, she's arrested for grand larceny. Again, somebody has some sticky fingers. Um, but she's not convicted. Later, they move to Indianapolis, and Maddox starts uh, – Maddox, his mom. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry. Kathleen. Maddox, um, starts attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings where she meets a fellow alcoholic named Lewis, who she married in August of 1943. Um, It's this period of time that Manson, um, in addition to skipping school, he starts stealing from stores and from his home. In 1947, uh, Kathleen was looking for a temporary foster home for Manson, but she wasn't able to find a suitable one. So Manson's mom spends the majority of his childhood trying to pawn him off on literally anybody who will take him, right? Right. So when she's unable to find a temporary foster home for him, she decides to send him to the, and I may pronounce this wrong, the Jabalt School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana. And this is a school for male delinquents that's run by Catholic priests. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, after being there for just a short while, Manson fled home to his mother, but she took him back to the school and dropped him off again. Mother of the year here. Yeah. She's kind of a pill. <clears throat> so I love that. Nobody ever uses that anymore. <laughs> well, what can I tell you? I'm a classic bitch. She's a pill. She's kind of a pill. Uh, I'll have a Tom Collins. Thanks. <laughs> So Manson uh, goes back to Jabal. His mom drops him off there again. Um, Ten months later, he runs away to Indianapolis. And instead of returning to his mother, because that went so well the first time, uh, he rented a room and supported himself by robbing stores at night. Hmm. So eventually he was caught, and a sympathetic judge sent him to Boys Town, which was a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. But Manson didn't want to be there either. After only four days, he and a student named Blackie Nielsen stole a car and somehow obtained a gun. And they used the gun to rob a grocery store and a casino. And they made their way to the home of uh, Blackie Nielsen's uncle in Peoria, Illinois. So we're really just we're road just tripping. going all around. We're we're oh, stealing. Yeah. We're stealing. We're on a a nice little road trip here. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Nielsen's uncle was a professional thief. Oh, great. And so when uh, Manson and Nielsen arrived, uh, he apparently took them on as apprentices in thieving and thievery. Jesus. Yeah, it's great. The adults in this story are really great. I'm like, damn, can we, uh, is there a pattern of behavior here? I think so. So two weeks later, Manson was arrested. So clearly Nielsen's uncle, just pointing out, not that good of a thief. Because Manson got arrested two weeks later. (laughs) Uh, He was arrested during a nighttime raid on a store 
um, that they were robbing in, in Peoria, Illinois. Um, in the investigation that followed, he was linked to two earlier armed robberies, and because of that, he was sent to Indiana Boys School, which was a very, very strict reform school. Now, we've seen that Manson, at this point uh, in his life, has been to several facilities right. that are for juvenile delinquents. Haven't this, really had anything uh, work out so far. No. no. It's a theme. <laughs> um, so, but the Indiana Boys School is by far the strictest one of these. Um, Indiana Boys School was, there's a lot of talk about this um, being a formative time in young Charles Manson's life. Um, he, he claimed that other students raped him at the Indiana Boys School with the encouragement of a staff member. He claimed that um, they would line the boys up and just beat them. Mm. And they would just scream and cry. Um, and staff members would beat them until they cried. Um, Manson, while he was there, talked about developing a self-defense te- technique that he called the insane game. When he was physically unable to defend himself, he would just start screaming and screeching and grimace and wave his arms to convince his aggressors that he was insane. And it worked. A lot of times that, you know, he he claims that a lot of times that would get people to leave him alone. Okay. So after a number of failed attempts, he escaped with two other boys from the Indian Boys School in February of 1951. Um... But he talks a lot about the Indiana Boys School and about how the abuse that was incurred there. He doesn't necessarily make those connections, but it's clear that that's when he first learned to project an identity I see where outward going. to protect himself. Right. Um, so very pivotal. Uh so he and two other boys escape in February 1951, and they are attempting to drive to California in stolen cars. Got arrested in Utah. Uh, they had robbed several gas stations along the way, kind of making a... Maybe this isn't the life for you. <laughs> I, have to, I would have to say that I would have to... I would Honestly, after my what? How, how, how many times has this been arrested? I have like, lost count. Like three, I think it's four, like four. Yeah. Four times. Yeah. After my fourth time, I'd be like, yeah. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. You know, maybe not. Uh, and apparently they didn't think so either because um, driving a stolen car across state lines is a federal crime. So this really? time, yes. So if you steal a huh. car, you better stay within state lines. Huh. Um, Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Just file that away. Um, but because of that, uh, Manson breaking a federal law, he was sent to Washington, D.C., <laughs> Damn, we're over here now. Yes. To the National Training School for Boys. So on arrival there, he was given aptitude tests, and they found that he was illiterate, <laughs> and that his IQ was 109. Of course he's illiterate. He hasn't even been in fucking school. So at the time, but that's interesting, he's totally illiterate, but his IQ is 109, and at the time the national average was 100. So he was slightly above average. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> yeah, not really average, but right, like, not necessarily the criminal mastermind that we're kind of conceiving of him as, right? Seems like he's an average of average intelligence, mm-hmm. 
but with like below average like like he seems like he might have like average street smarts not like above average you I mean, see can what I'm we, saying? Can we like, say that he has been arrested four times? <laughs> I'm not sure that the street smart. But you are know really what I'm saying. High. But you know what I'm saying. Like he's not like formal education right. smart, but he's like average criminal streets. Right. right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. average. Like you still get caught. Obviously. Right. right. You're not above average not intelligence with yeah. anything. Right. Yes. <laughs> you could have probably been great if you would have went to school, and maybe studied, and maybe had, you know. A decent mother. Yeah. But, um. <laughs> Literally anybody to believe in you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so his caseworker at that time deemed him aggressively antisocial. <laughs> oh, God. So uh, on a psychiatrist's recommendation, Manson was transferred in October 1951 to Natural Bridge Honor Camp which was a minimum security institution. His aunt visited him and told administrators that she would let him stay at her house and would help him find work after he got out. Manson had a parole hearing that was scheduled for February 1952. So potentially an opportunity for him to kind of like get out of prison, go live with his aunt. Like she's going to, she's promised to help him find work and blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. It's looking great. It's looking like it might be a path. But then in January... Of 1952, we just take a harsh left when Manson is caught raping a boy at knife point. Oh, no. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And he, there's a lot of talk of how this is holdover from behavior that was learned at Boys Town. From that crazy strict. Yes, that like in that school, you were either a rapist or you were being raped. And so... And a lot of times the roles reversed quite frequently. Um, but there is an argument, and I think Manson kind of lays the groundwork for this, so we should definitely take it with a grain of salt. There is an argument that um, he did that in a play to establish himself, right, as, a, as an aggressor, not as somebody who's going to be bullied or kicked around or whatever. Um with who? At this facility, at this uh, minimum security oh, institution. Right. Okay, so, yeah. like, he comes through the door and wants to, like, be the fucking big man on campus, which apparently translates to raping people. Okay. Um, again, that's something that Manson laid most of the argument for. And so, I don't know that we take, we definitely take it with a grain of salt. But right. I can see it is a well known pattern that the abused become abusers. Yeah. Not all the time, not always, but that is a an outcome, right? Yeah. Of dealing with, or rather not dealing with, that kind of trauma. Right. Um, so after that happened, he was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. Uh, there, he committed eight further serious disciplinary offenses, three of which involved homosexual acts. Um, and it And it wasn't... Are we talking about... The rape qu- or right is it- the, right the quote says homosexual acts it was not like call me by your name it was like rape like this is like rape. so he was just raping this is guys not, it yeah was not a homosexual it's not co- act. yeah it, it was, was not th- rape yeah i said it that way because of the quote but you're right it's the way that they say it in this quote because of the time period a homosexual act was like worse than oh he's not raping rape. he's just being yeah. gay yeah, right. Yeah. He's just, he's just a homo. Yeah. 
No, um, he he was definitely raping people. Uh, sorry to laugh on that. That seems weird, but you're here with us and you understand that we don't condone rape. No, but I mean, I think it, it's just laughing at the bargain. fact of the craziness right. of the, how they worded that. Right, that homosexual acts is worse than saying right. rape. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yes. But okay. I love the 50s. <clears throat> so um, Manson, uh, after that, after those eight disciplinary offenses, was moved to uh, another maximum security reformatory at, uh, and I'm definitely going to fuck this one up, Chillicothe, Ohio. Okay. Where he was expected to remain until his release on his 21st birthday in November of 1955. Good behavior led to an early release for him. Which is interesting that he had good behavior there because he seems to have fucking had good behavior. No nowhere. behavior, yeah, like no good behavior. Uh, but he got out on good behavior in May of 1954 and went to live with his aunt and uncle back in West Virginia. So in January of 1955, Manson tries to kind of like go straight during this period, right? He not no not homosexual sexual, acts this no, time. Not in a sexual sense. I mean, no criminal acts. <laughs> okay. But I guess also technically, yes. Uh, in January of 1955, he marries a hospital waitress named Rosalie Jean Willis. A hospital waitress? Is that yes. A, is that a profession? I think it was back in the day. Like, she worked in the hospital. Like, at the cafeteria. A, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She was a cafeteria lady. I I believe. We can okay. say that. We can say that <laughs> conclusively. <laughs> But I will just say, Rosalie Jean, definitely from West Virginia. God bless her heart. You know? Okay. Uh, I love it. I love that name. It's beautiful. Yeah. So around October, about three months after he and pregnant Rosalie Jean arrived in Los Angeles in a car that he had stolen in Ohio. Great. So we took a shift, right? <laughs> Thought we were doing good here for a second. It didn't work out. <laughs> Did she know it was stolen? Uh, unclear, but probably okay. yes. It, but, I mean, honestly, Rosalie Jean seems, like, real sweet, and I don't know that... I think it might have been one of those situations where Charlie showed up at the house with, with a, a car, car, and we just didn't question how he how got he it. he got the car. We just were excited. Somebody for gave him. it to me. Right. And, yeah. So... He performed a homosexual act. <laughs> maybe. And someone gave him a car. Uh, well, that wouldn't be illegal. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> he stole it. So... Uh, three months after he and his pregnant wife uh, arrive in Los Angeles in the stolen car, Manson was again charged with a federal crime for having taken the stolen car God across damn, fucking You didn't learn the lines. first time? Yes. So after a psychiatric evaluation, he was given five years probation. Seems like a great break, right? So no jail time. Probation. Five years probation. However, he failed to appear at the LA hearing God. on an identical charge that was Damn filed it. in Florida as a, and that resulted in his arrest in March of 1956 in Indianapolis. So this fucker is bouncing around everywhere. I mean, shit, he, you're doing a lot, sir. At this point, his probation is revoked and he's sentenced to three years imprisonment at Terminal Island, San Pedro, California. Okay. Okay. So while he's in prison, Rosalie gives birth to his, to their first son, uh, Charles Manson Jr. God. I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah. During uh, Manson's first year at Terminal Island, Manson received visits from Rosalie and his mom, who were now living together in L.A., uh, raising his son. And, and, Char and Charlie's mom. Charlie's mom, yes. Okay, Charlie's so they were mom. living together, raising... Yes. Kathleen. 
Yeah, so they were <laughs> raising the, the, the boy together. Right, right, Junior. God. So in March 1957, Rosalie quits coming to see him. And his mother informs him that Rosalie is living with another man. Oh, okay. So she's moved on. Yeah, okay. Go you, Rosalie. Less than two weeks before a scheduled parole hearing, Manson tried to escape by stealing a car. Ostensibly, he says to um, talk to Rosalie. I'm just going to talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to talk to her. I'm not going to hurt her. I'm just going to talk to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Uh, but he was, uh, he was caught. Um, and given five years probation, and his parole was denied. Dude, stealing cars, not in your future. Not your, this is not This the, is not gone in 60 seconds for you. You cards, are not Nick Cage. You the, cannot pull it. The cards are laid out, and your wheel of fortune is reversed, sir. <laughs> you got it. When it comes you to You have cars. no wheels. You have no wheels, no <laughs> wheel of fortune. There are no wheels in your future, sir. Just avoid wheels altogether. Damn, learn your lesson, sir. Yes. You really are not very intelligent. No. So that's kind of a point. Thank you for making that point for me. Um, so in 1958, Rosie, Rosalie... I just imagine you've got this scene where the cop's like waiting to arrest him. And then there's Charlie Manson who's like <laughs> looking, staring down the cop. And like reaching and his like hand out to the car. Reaching for the, the car door. Like, the cop's like, don't do <laughs> it. Don't do it. And Charlie's like... I'm going to touch the I'm butt. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The cop's like, I will fucking arrest you if you do this. Don't do it. Literally, just don't. Just don't do We're it. We're so tired of you. Don't touch the car. If you could just not. And he just, and then he just grabs it, and then there's just like, God damn it. And then there's tasers uh, and shit. And yeah, yeah. That's what I imagine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably pretty accurate, minus the tasers. I don't think they had those yet. Um, so in 1958. Nightsticks. Beat them. True. In 1958, uh, Rosalie formally divorces Charlie uh, while he's still in jail. Or, I'm sorry, he's not in jail. He's on parole at this time. Um, by November of that same year, Charlie was pimping a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional support from a girl with wealthy parents. So we're already seeing... Mm, he's surrounding himself with people that... Specifically women, yeah. right? Because he's got this 16-year-old girl that he's um, basically acting as a pimp for, right? And he's getting additional support from a girl that he's seeing who has wealthy parents. So we're already kind of starting to see that emerge. Yeah. Um, in September of 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox. Um, but then la later that charge was dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, he also received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman named Leona who had an arrest record for prostitution. They always have to tell you that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was a sex worker. Great. <laughs> she had a record for prostitution. Think poorly of a, her. She was a whore. Yeah, great. Uh, just make sure that you think poorly of her uh, before they tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he got a 10-year suspended sentence and probation um, after... Uh, she made a tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were deeply in love and that she would marry Charlie if he was freed. So basically, he's like getting into trouble and she is advocating on his behalf that she loves him and they'll get married and yada, yada, yada. Uh-huh. Um, before the year's end, Leona did marry Manson, um, but it's possible that she only did so so that she wouldn't be required to testify against him. Mm. So... Okay. Manson kind of skirts the check issue somewhat uh, and is on probation. 
And so he takes Leona and another woman to New Mexico um, for the purposes of sex work, of prostitution. Mm -hmm. And then in New Mexico, there's this whole big thing with check fraud. Like, that comes back again. Um, But there's nothing less sexy than check fraud. So we're going to skip all of that and just gloss right over it so that we can get to the murder. Okay? Yeah. Sound like a good deal? Yeah. Um, suffice it to say that the check fraud stuff landed Manson in prison at the U.S. Penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington State um, through March of 1967. By the time of his release, uh, on March 21st, 1967, Manson had spent more than half of his 32 years in prisons or institutions. I'm like, damn, it's not... How many chances do you have to get? Why can't you just throw the book at him? Right. More than half. Um, So, actually, when they went to release him, he told the authorities that prison had become his home, and he requested permission to stay. But, of course, Mm. that wasn't possible. So, they released him. Until he goes out to the parking lot and steals a car. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, Manson, at this point, is 32 years old. Again, he spent more than half of his life in prison. Again, I'm restating <laughs> that he spent more of, his, 32 years more than old half again. of his life in prison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just boggles the mind that you can get to like 32 and you've literally spent half of that time in a facility of some kind. Yeah. Can't um, relate. <laughs> so when he gets released, uh, he gets permission to move to San Francisco, where with the help of one of his prisons, prison acquaintances, he moves into an apartment in Berkeley, Berkeley, California. Uh, in prison... A bank robber who he had met um, named Alvin Carpus had taught him to play the steel guitar. And Manson loved playing guitar. He loved music. He was big into music. He had huge dreams of becoming this big, like, music star. Like, he wanted to be a rock star. That was his dream. (laughs) Baby. Yes. And we're actually going to play, at the end of this episode, we're actually going to play you guys one of Manson's songs. And it's actually legit Charles Manson. If you have Spotify, there's a Charles Manson playlist, and it's literally him. Are we sure we're trying to do that? <laughs> yeah. That seems a little bit, like, glorifying to me. No, 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 no. We're going to shit on him. It's, I mean, it's terrible music. It's not, I mean, well, okay. It's not the worst, but it's, like, not remarkable. It's kind of the, like, acoustic it's manson is the fucking guy who walks around with his fucking acoustic guitar everywhere he goes and is always like playing his guitar trying to get attention and shit that's manson okay that's him but he's mediocre okay at best so we're gonna play you his mediocre yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. music i mean i didn't say i didn't say next up we're gonna have a rockin tune from a hot cat named charles manson that's kind of what i charlie thought. m no i'm just gonna like, play it for you guys because a lot of people haven't heard it this episode and it's interesting. took a turn yeah no uh plot twist i'm a manson girl no i'm kidding <gasps> me <sighs> uh. no i'm just gonna play it for you guys because i think it might be interesting um and if you don't want to listen to it don't it's the beauty of podcasts uh so at this time manson is living mostly by begging um he meets mary brunner a 23 year old graduate of the university of wisconsin madison who is working as a library assistant at uc berkeley at the time and the two hit it off 
they um how do you just hit it off with charles manson <laughs> i mean but it happens a lot again we saw you know when he was released from prison earlier in life leona we saw that with her and he's with just, those, these women he was pimping out he's he just must sitting have there had something playing his steel guitar very poorly and yes. she's just like <laughs> looking at him with the utmost admiration yes, yeah it's like i've got to get me some of that i mean basically Ugh. here's the thing though mary brunner um was not the most hmm how do we say this uh she wasn't going on a lot of dates she wasn't she wasn't uh getting a lot of attention let's just say uh so when she met manson he made her feel uh, important, and she was kind of invested right away because you know he's... because attention, right? Yeah, everybody loves attention. Yeah. Um, so shortly after they meet, um, he moves in with her, which is how all great love stories start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and according to a secondhand account, he overcame her resistance to his bringing other women in to live with them. So before long. Mary Brunner was sharing her residence with Manson and 18 other women. Fuck. 18 other women? 18. All right, I could maybe see bringing in another bitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. I could see, all right, whatever. You I mean, know. you know, it's Polly. It's, uh, Polly, it's open. Polly, yeah, we, I mean, we are not I, judging. Okay, I get 100% that. I'm not, not judging. Polyamorous, whatever, two, three. But 18. But 18. And it's an apartment, baby. Listen, that's greedy. Yeah. That's just greedy. That's a lot. You mm-mm, no, I don't even. I don't love eight. I don't have eighteen people in my life that True. I love that much. No, True. Not, you think I'm gonna have eighteen people up in my motherfucking house? <laughs> no. Yeah. I yeah. see where a stab. I see where we're getting the the cults. Yes. Bit that yeah. is his core. Once he pulls those what eighteen, what did he in. have? I'm just trying to. What was there a magic dick or something involved? Like what was it? By all accounts, his dick was average. But I think he just had that, like, I mean, I will say, like, if you look at pictures of young Charlie Manson when he had, like, the facial hair or whatever, like, he did not look clean. We would definitely need to, like, shower you in, like, scalding hot water to burn all that off, all that nasty off. But, like, he wasn't unattractive. Like, I mean, he kind of had, like, a roguish charm about him. And there's a little bit of, like, mystique to... And about 37 different arrest records. Yeah, true, <laughs> like... true. I mean, you know... We women are giving a giving uh, sex, and we uh, sometimes give. And they were giving sex, <laughs> and they were. Uh, but I can see it. I mean, I don't judge them too harshly because, like, I can, I can see. I mean, it. if it's consensual, do that. what you want. But I just think eighteen is just a, a, a bit excessive. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Um, so this kind of enters uh, ushers in the period where Manson has established himself as a guru in of San Francisco's Hate Ashbury district, which was kind of like Hate Ashbury. Hate Ashbury, yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> okay, oh, but it's still a guru of what? Um, just like free love, right? Because it's 1967, right? The summer of love is is in high like. And there's the theme. String. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, We're crushing yeah. love for you today. Yes. Because yeah. we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. The person you love is going to be like a horrible, like, you know, murder Cult guru. Leader. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, 1967, it's the perfect time um, for, for a guy like Manson, right? 
um, in San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury district. Um, everybody is kind of like feeling the hippie culture. Um, and he kind of sets himself up as this spiritual guru. Um, and this is where we get the founding members of like the Manson family. Um, Manson taught his father followers that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians and that the Romans were the establishment. Ah, another connection. So the man <laughs> is from the Romans. Uh, they're descendant from the Romans. And uh, Manson's followers are descendant from the original Christians, supposedly. Uh, Manson strongly implied that he was Christ. He often told a story about envisioning himself being on the cross with nails in his feet and his hands. And sometime around 1967, he started using the alias Charles Willis Manson. Um, and he often said it really slowly. Um, so it sounded more like Charles will is man's son. That sounds like some shit that you like, were smoking son some of shit. God. <laughs> like, no, that sounds like you were probably smoking some shit and you were like fucking 10 fucking stratospheres, uh, in the sky <laughs> and you were like, Charles or tripping balls. Will. You know what I mean? It probably like, sounded a lot like that's that. That's like, that's what I pictured. So implying, obviously, there that his will is the same as that of the Son of Man. Do you think that would be his, um, his, Jesus. Uh, his Insta handle if he had never Definitely <laughs> would have been. Definitely would have been. That'd be his Absolutely. Insta handle today? Yeah. And he'd have underscores between it so that you could be really sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before that summer ended, Manson and about eight or nine of his most hardcore enthusiasts. Eight, uh, nine, ten, twenty. Eight or nine of them. Uh, they pile into an old school bus that they had kind of redesigned. Did they stole? Did he steal it? I think they bought that one. Oh. I think they bought it. For the first time yeah. in our life, we have yeah. <laughs> legally purchased a vehicle. Because I think somebody else gave him the money to get it. Um, I think they did buy it. They, they like, pooled all their money. She's like, um, Charlie, no, we don't have to steal. Yeah, we don't have to steal it this time. He's like, I'll steal it. I'll go I'll, get I'll one just, right now. I'll just get it. No, no. I'll buy it. Just. Let's just buy it. <laughs> Manson is shook. <laughs> <laughs> He's triggered. Um, yeah, so they, they redo this. Um, it's like, I don't know how this process works. <laughs> they redo this old school. Charles Manson just like sitting in a car dealership, just like trying not to be like itchy. Like, <laughs> just, whoa. <laughs> Fuck, man. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, they, they read you the school bus, but honestly, I understand that it's like dirty and hippie and gross, but like, uh, that's kind of goals for me. Like, I definitely want to, at some point in my life, like redo the interior of a school bus and like complete Southern living, like fabulousness. Mm. Um, definitely goals for me. So I'm working on that. You guys, you can email us at the haunted heart podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to join me. <laughs> if you'd like to join me on our school bus. <gasps> Um, what if we had a bus? We redid it. It's the Haunted Heart bus. bus, and we podcast in the bus as we travel America. Incredible. And if you want to help us realize this thing, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash the Haunted Heart. Well, we're going to add a new level. That's a seat a on the bus. A new goal. Yeah. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Tickets. So they have their bus, um, and they... Uh, go so at that point they start traveling right they roam as far as uh north 
as Washington State, and then they go southward through Los Angeles, Mexico, uh, and the Southwest, and then returning to L.A., they lived uh, right around Topanga Canyon, Malibu, and Venice, um, which is in the western part of L.A. You were just taking us all across the entire. I am. It's a it's a fucking trip, dude. Buckle up. Um, So in 1967, Mary Brenner becomes pregnant by Manson. And on April 15th of 1968, she gives birth to a son that she named Valentine Michael. Oh my God, so thematic. Synchronicities. I didn't even plan this. This worked better than I thought it was going to at the start of this. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was going to be a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Thank you for the confidence, Ben. Appreciate it. So Valentine Michael, nicknamed Pooh Bear. (laughs) <laughs> is born uh, in a condemned house in Topanga Canyon. <laughs> were they squatters? Yeah, they were. Yeah, during this time. So period, they bought they were. the bus, stole the home. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, they're just squatting there. They're just using it. Okay. Uh, so and you know, having babies in it and stuff, <clears throat> like you do. So Mary Brenner was assisted during the birth by several of the young women from the Manson family. Um, she uh, gives birth to Pooh Bear in this uh, condemned house. And that's where we are. Okay. So weirdly, the events that would eventually culminate in the murders were set in motion in late spring of 1968 when Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys... What? Right. It's so weird. The Beach Boy connection thing is so strange. So Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who was by all intents and uh, and by all accounts, um, kind of a quirky guy. Yeah. He picks up two hitchhiking Manson women, Patricia Krenwinkle and Ella Jo Bailey. And he brings them to his Pacific Palisades house for a couple hours. And then I guess he let them spend the night there or something. Or maybe he like let them go after... A couple hours but whatever happened he came home uh in the early hours of the following morning from a night recording session and he was greeted in the driveway of his own house by manson himself oh, fuck and manson just emerges from his house like from dennis wilson's house so like you get home and some fucker just comes and out this your front fucking door? like hippie jesus looking motherfucker just walks out of your house down your driveway to greet you no <laughs> Hey, sir, how's it going? <laughs> Can you just imagine? Well, it was a little weirder than shaking hands. Um, Manson reportedly, uh, after Wilson asked that Manson whether he intended to hurt him, Manson knelt down to the ground and began kissing Wilson's feet. Huh. Inside the house, Wilson discovered 12 strangers, mostly women. So... The account that was given in Manson in his own words is that Manson had first met Dennis Wilson at a friend's um, house in San Francisco where Manson had gone to, like, buy weed. Like, they bumped into each other there. Okay. Um, and the drummer supposedly gave Man- Manson his bu- his address on Sunset Boulevard. Kind of cool. Um, and invited him to stop by whenever he came to Los Angeles. And Dennis Wilson himself actually said in a 1968 uh, Record Mirror article that after mentioning, um, he he said that um, the Beach Boys had worked with uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Um, 
which I have no idea what that was. I think it's a hippie thing. Um, but he said that there somehow there was uh, like um, overlap there that some of the Manson women had been involved with this like yogi, mm-hmm. um, and they had told Dennis Wilson that they too had a guru who was named Charlie. Okay. So he had Dennis Wilson confirmed at least that he had heard of Charles Manson in passing. Okay. Um, so over the next couple months, um, somehow um, Manson convinces Dennis Wilson to just let the Manson family live with him in this mansion in the Palisades. Okay. <laughs> so over the next couple months, um, the number of women in Dennis Wilson's house doubled. Fuck. Uh, Manson family members made themselves completely part of his um, Sunset Boulevard house, and they cost him approximately $100,000, which that number included a large medical bill for treatment of their gonorrhea. (laughs) 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 And, right, because one of the things about, um, like, the Manson family is, like, Charlie is pimping out all of these women. Like, the reason that they have money and can eat sometimes is because he's pimping these women out. and can eat sometimes right so like the gonorrhea thing is like a reality of the i cult. mean right we're just gonna say these they're not clean yeah we're yeah we're doing a lot we're yeah. doing a lot um so an, an additional twenty one thousand dollars for the destruction of uh dennis wilson's uninsured car um which the manson family had borrowed uh, Wilson would apparently sing and talk with Manson while the r- women were treated as servants to them both. Okay. Uh, Wilson apparently paid for studio time to record songs that were written and performed by Manson. Um, Wilson also introduced Manson to entertainment business acquaintances. And this is kind of the time when um, Manson is feeling, remember I told you that he has that dream of becoming a recording star. Yeah. Like he wants to be the fucking, he I wants to be a rock be star. the very best. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So at this time, you know, he's really close to that dream in his mind. And he's like out there like meeting these people. Um, Dennis Wilson introduced him to Greg Jacobson, Terry Melcher, Rudy Altabelli, um, all these famous people. Um, and Rudy Altabelli actually owned a house that he would soon rent to actress Sharon Tate and her husband, Roman Polanski. Mm. So there's the connection there. Um. So Charlie is getting um, Jacobson, Greg Jacobson, who's like this music producer guy, um, was su- reportedly impressed by the whole Charlie Manson package, which is in quotes, of like an artist, like philosopher type guy. Um, and he had made some offhand comment to Manson, I think. I'm sure that it was like, oh, yeah, like, I'd love to have you come into the studio. And yeah, we'll definitely knock out a record. Like, but to Manson, that was like a solid promise, right? Yeah. That was like my fucking dream. Yeah. Like I'm doing it, right? Yeah. So a couple months after moving in, in a very strange manner, with Dennis Wilson, uh, Dennis Wilson's um, uh, producer or like manager kicks them out. He's like, you can't fucking do this. Like, you can't pay to support these people living in your fucking house. Like, what are you doing? They have to fucking go. And so he kicks all of them out. So they're on the street again. Was he getting in on the action? Who? The um, Beach Boys guy. Oh, I'm sure. That Like, it was a, a plus. I don't... I mean, we can say allegedly he was. But 
I mean, the women are basically servants to him and Manson, so I can't imagine that he's uh-huh. not. But I can't confirm for sure that he is. Got Does that it. Make sense? Allegedly. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. Suspicious, we'll say, <laughs> and put a pin in it. Uh, so at this point, they're homeless again. Um, shortly thereafter, Manson establishes a base for the group at Spans Movie Ranch which is not far from Topanga Canyon, um, in August of 1968. Um, The entire family relocates to the ranch. And it was actually kind of weird because that ranch um, had been a television, like, movie set for Mm -hmm. Westerns. um, But it was uh, abandoned and the the buildings had deteriorated. um, And the ranch was earning money primarily by selling horseback rides. So it's kind of abandoned. It's basically a fucking ghost town. Um. So in order, in exchange to stay there, um, the family members did work around the grounds to kind of like keep it up. And also Manson reportedly ordered the family's women, including the famous Lynette Squeaky From, to occasionally have sex with the nearly blind 80-year-old owner, George Fan. (laughs) The nearly blind. Nearly blind. If he squints in the good light, Uh, see a little bit. Enough. He was... He saw that pussy, though, didn't he? Mm. So, yeah, so they, uh, w- the women also acted as seeing eye guides for, Sp- for George Spann um, from time to time. Um, and in exchange, he allowed the Manson family to live on the ranch. Um, and interestingly, the reason that Lynette Frum is called Squeaky Frum, uh, allegedly, is because when George Spann would pinch her thigh, she would squeak. Yeah, it's um, nice oh, and disgusting. Okay. <laughs> it's nice and gross. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, at this point, when they're living at the ranch, um, a guy named Charles Watson joins the group. Charles Watson is a small town Texan who had quit college and moved to California. Um, I'm sure some people can relate. Yeah. Uh, but he met Manson at Dennis Wilson's house. Um, during a party, and Watson gave Dennis Wilson a ride while Wilson was hitchhiking after his car was wrecked, and so he kind of got wrapped into the family. Um, George Spann nicknamed Watson Tex because of his pronounced Texan drawl. Mm-hmm. And Tex is an important character. Mm-hmm. So Tex is key. Uh, he joins the group there in uh, end of summer 1968. So in the first days of November 1968, um, Manson established the family at a different headquarters in Death Valley. Um, And this is when they go out into the fucking desert. Yeah. So he, Charlie gets on this, um, like, Charlie gets on this religious kick. He's always had religious undertones, right? But at this point, you know, they're hanging out, doing drugs, fucking whatever. And he kind of goes real... I don't know if he had like a heavy trip that just took him real far in mm-hmm. to the other realm or whatever, but he gets um, way more. This is when we start having the delusions of grandeur, yeah. right? And he's always had that to some degree because I think he's always been looking for this identity, right? But November of 1968, once we get into the desert, we're really, um, they're really taking a step away from society. Mm-hmm. I mean, a significant step, right? Um, so the dreams with Dennis Wilson and all that shit of becoming a recording artist haven't worked out for him. Yeah, so and, it's like, what do I right, do now? And right. so we're just receding. Right, yes, exactly. So um, 
So they go out into the desert, um, and for some time, Manson had been saying that racial tension between blacks and whites was growing, and that blacks would soon rise up in rebellion in America's cities. Here's where I get, like, where did this come from? You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like we're on this, like, I mean, like, hippie whatever route. And then, where did that come from? Like, it seems like we're on this, like, you know, hippie Hippie free love love route. And then all of a sudden we're adding this, like, this just seems to come out of nowhere to me. Well, you have to remember the time period that it is, racism is still very prevalent in America. I mean, it still is now, but it was different then. Always. Um, But racism is very prevalent. You also have to remember, where did Manson grow up? A lot of his life was spent in West Virginia, where racial tension was much more... uh, I mean, but he was all over the place, though. Right, but a lot of it was West Virginia, and he kept kind of coming back to that. You know, because his aunt and uncle lived in West Virginia. Right. Remember, every time he was released from prison, he would he would come. Back I wonder there. if this has something to do with uh, his significant stint in prison as well. Yeah, you know, racial tensions within there. the prison system yeah. as well, and you yeah. know, their systems of hierarchy and whatnot. And, definitely, and cliques there. So. Yeah. Okay. Definitely that like kind of like gang, almost gang mindset of like right. w- the whites versus the blacks, like right. the sharks versus the jets, and like you know. Yeah. Um, so for some time he had been talking about racial tension and their talks that they would have because they would all get together as a family and Charlie would basically preach. Um, and he had been talking about racial tension, but he emphasized that Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, which had taken place on April 4th of 1968, and this is November 1968, Mm -hmm. um, he emphasized that assassination as a turning point. So on New Year's Eve... Um, at the ranch, the family gathered around a large fire and listened as Manson explained that the social turmoil he had been predicting had also been predicted by the Beatles. And this is a big, this is Helter Skelter. This mm-hmm. is how we get Helter Skelter. Um, Manson had visited, um, while, while they were back at Span Ranch, Manson, Manson and Tex, Tex Watson, had visited um, an acquaintance in Topanga, Can- in Topanga Canyon who had played them the Beatles' recently released White Album. And Manson became obsessed with the group. Previously, when he was at McNeil Island, so when he was a, way younger, right? Yeah. When he was at McNeil Island in Washington, he had told fellow inmates that he could surpass the Beatles in fame. Oh, good. Right? Okay, cool. Sure. But when this... Can't even properly rob a car, but, I mean, that's fine. Steal a car. Right. But when this acquaintance in Topanga Canyon plays him the White Album, Manson reportedly just becomes obsessed with it. And he tells the family that the Beatles are the soul and part of the whole and the infinite. That's a quote. (laughs) What does that mean? Who knows? I just imagine, like, if you could travel back in time and, like, sit there... And just be, like, a modern-day person when all of this was going on. Just imagine, like, you and me just sitting there in our fucking white robes. Part, it's part of the whole in the infinite, man. I just, we just pull out a fucking gun and shoot him right there. I'm just over away. there, like, nah, nah. Uh, but yeah, so this is this is when the Beatles get brought in. Manson tells the family on New Year's Eve that the White Album songs told the whole story. 
through code. He said that uh, the album was directed at the family itself and that the the Manson family was an elect group that was being instructed to preserve the worthy from impending disaster. Um, He said that uh, the family would create an album whose songs, as subtle as those of the Beatles, would trigger the predicted chaos. Ghastly murders of whites by blacks would be met with retaliation and a split between racist and non-racist whites would yield whites' self-annihilation. Blacks would triumph, as it were, uh, and the Manson family would then emerge from underground, right? So they're supposed to go underground for all of this crazy craziness and, like, racist whites and non-racist whites will fight and then, like, brown people will triumph. And then, of course, brown people don't know how to rule themselves, so the Manson family will emerge from underground and then the Manson family will rule the whole world. You know... I'm just to borrow a line I'm from just... Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> I believe it is Jeff Foxworthy. You can't fix stupid. No, that's Bill Ingvall, isn't it? I have no clue. I have no idea. <laughs> um, this is just ridiculous. This yeah. is we've got yep. some lofty goals here. Yeah, we do. Um, they're yeah. not. Uh, they're not uh-huh. uh, good goals by any means yeah. to have. Yeah. Um, uh, continue. I just. Manson is the worst because, like, he's so, he's, like, so mindfuck racist. Like, I don't know. So he's essentially waiting for white people to be annihilated. Right, right. For racial tension to erupt, white people are annihilated. All right, so you're waiting for white people to be annihilated, right? Right. Uh, And then for you as a, and your group, as a white group to come up and just have... Right. The people that annihilated the white people crown you as a white savior. Yep. Because they can't rule themselves, so they will then... What? Yeah. What are you... Mm. Baby. Mm. Again, let's look at the cards here. Nothing is in your future at this point. (laughs) Literally nothing. Literally nothing. So that's where we are. You know, the group is... and, And keep in mind, this... I can't state this enough. This whole time, this group is dropping mega drugs. We're on shrooms. We're on fucking acid. We're taking all kinds of, like, fucking peyote. Like, there's a lot of hallucinogens being used, and you're constantly sort of, like, out of your fucking mind, and you're living out in, you know, cult mentality in the middle of the fucking desert. There's There's no reality check for you. So you have this magnanimous guy who is talking to you about all this bullshit, and you're fucking zonked out of your mind. And this is a huge, like, point that, you know, drugs were so, um... Drugs were such a part of their daily lives that there's a story about Tex that's um, he apparently I forget what it was, but it was like this root that if you boil it like you take um, it was some I have to remember the name of it, but um, maybe I could boast it if I find out. But it's a root that you boil and Tex being a fucking idiot. Somebody was boiling that to prepare it for them to take in like small doses. You're only supposed to take like little teeny doses of it like. Yeah. 
And I think it may have come from First Americans um, in that particular region of the country, that that's how the Manson family knew about it. But you're only supposed to take very small doses, and it's a very, very, very powerful hallucinogen. Well, Tex, being a fucking idiot, comes in the house and sees something boiling on the stove, and he just eats the whole fucking (laughs) thing. He eats the whole root, right? You know what, though? So here's the thing. Uh, that sounds like something that I could have easily fell in, yes, fallen it into. Yes, So they... He <laughs> What's eats, on the stove, Katie? He eats this whole fucking root. They lose him for three days. They eventually find him in town on his hands and knees pretending to be a train in a circle of children. Okay? He was you know, never the same after that. They I, said Tex was not ever the same after that. He was fucked up permanently. You know... If I come home hungry and there's something cooking on a pot, and I eat, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't, I, I would have fallen into that. You would have. I, I literally you would, would have. I cannot blame him for that instance because I, unless he knew what it was and was just like, you know, trying to be a fucking uh, dumbass. But if you were just coming home and hungry and saw something boiling on the stove and, and then I'm sitting there eating it and then you're like, Katie, and you're like, Kenny, no, that's a, it's an extremely powerful hallucinogen yes. that I have uh, boiled for us to take in uh, less than a teaspoon. That's supposed to last us for like a year. <laughs> and I'm just standing Fuck. there with a fucking spoon like, oh. Fuck. <laughs> You're going on a trip, baby. <laughs> and you me. don't even have to pay for airfare. <laughs> We're going to strap you in and I'll check on you in a couple hours. Just me naked in the room howling at the moonlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which I don't really need drugs. I kind of am drugs, to borrow Salvador Dali's quote. Uh, I am I'll drugs. Howl at the moon. <laughs> Clean and sober. <laughs> yep. So that's where we are, and I took a minute to talk about the drug culture because I do think it's really, really important. Manson is living in the fucking desert. He's He can't be the rock star that he wants to be, so he is this group's rock star. They love him. They see him as Jesus. He is their, you know, God um, almost, and couple that with he gets all the drugs he wants and he gets all the bush he wants because he's fucking all of these women he's fucking all of them yeah for him it's a win-win he's in a great situation he loves the life that he's living yeah he's in the desert doing his thing like they're living like vagabonds but it's fine like that's he is king of the hill so to say like he's he's king of his little kingdom his little his fantasy yes um but in talking the kind of bullshit that he's talking with once he gets into the helter skelter shit and the racial tension shit and the we're going to rule the world shit that shit gets dangerous because he's got a lot of people that are doing a lot of fucking hallucinogens and they take him deadly serious yeah right so this is where shit starts to pop off the manson family is supporting themselves through prostitution and also through um robbery they're stealing, again, this is how Charlie's lived his entire life. They're stealing from, you know, homes and gas stations and wherever they can kind of steal from. Um, so this is what leads us into the murder of Gary Hinman. So Gary Hinman um, was a music teacher and a Ph.D. student at UCLA. He had been described as a kind, gentle soul who would often open his house up to those needing a place to stay. At some point in the late 60s, he befriended some members of the Manson family, and he um, apparently let some members of the Manson family stay at his home on occasion. So Manson, um, at some point, got the notion that Hinman had a bunch of stocks and bonds that he owned in the house, 
and thinking that he was wealth, wealthy, um, a couple family members, uh, Bobby Boussolet, along with Mary Brenner and Susan Adkins, um, went to Gary Hammond's home on July 25th of 1969 to convince Gary to join the family. Um, that included turning over the assets that Manson thought that he had inherited. So mm-hmm. all those stocks and bonds and shit. Well, Hammond didn't have any of that shit to turn over. So when he didn't have anything and didn't want to join the family, uh, Brunner, Adkins, and Boussolet, um held him hostage for two days, during which supposedly Charlie showed up with a sword to slash Hemmons' ear. After that, Boussolet stabbed him into death, um, supposedly on Manson's instruction. Before leaving uh, Hemmons' residence, Boussolet, or one of the women, it's unclear who did it, used Hemmons' blood to write political piggy on the wall and draw a a Black Panther paw, which was a symbol of the Black Panthers, which, as we Mm. all know, was a very influential African-American movement um, in California at the time. Yeah. So that act is seen by the Manson family as staging a murder to sort of like stoke the fires of racial racial tension, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're going to bring it about. We're going to make the white people think that black people did this murder. And so the white people attack the black people. And then it leads into this this view of Armageddon. Yeah. So are we, is it, do we think that like this was, so obviously this was a turning point, right? Right. Because this is the first time that there's been a murder. Right. A life has been taken. Yes. So there's obviously a turning point. Are we sure on whether or not this was like an act carried out by by him where he made that decision to you kill him and do this? Or was it the craziness of one of his followers who did it and he was kind of like, fuck. (laughs) Yes. And this is where I, in my understanding of Manson, everything that I've read, everything, all the, you know, research that I've done, um, this is where I differ my viewpoint on him differs from a lot of other folks, right? The idea of Manson as this fucking criminal mastermind who was just so intelligent and had these people wrapped so around his finger that they, he just crooked his pinky finger and they, you know, would jump at his command. I don't think that was the case. I think that we have a group of people who are strung out on fucking drugs who are in the middle of the desert, who are like high on shit and he's doing this preaching and he's talking to hear himself talk. If you ever hear Manson talk, he speaks to hear himself speak. He's not really communicating anything valuable. He's just talking words that he thinks sound good, right? Because he's into himself. I think at this point, the cult starts pulling away from Manson. They're, They're in support of him and his philosophy, but the cult starts acting ahead of where he's thought to, right? Yeah. Because he just wanted them to rob this guy and bring back these fucking stocks, right? Yeah. Instead, this guy's tied up. He's being tortured. Manson shows up, sees that the guy's being tortured. Manson tries to intimidate him, slashes his ear. Come on. Boussole stabbed him, like, a lot. And it was a very, very, very gruesome scene. Manson only slashes his ear. Come on. Yeah, I feel like that was something, like, this person was all, like already insane and right. capable of doing that right. and then like right uh, yeah that i okay i right. can see that so in my mind this is this is the manson family at this point the cart's in front of the horse and charlie is like fuck 
Because Charles Manson is a con man. Charles Manson is not a murderer. He is a con man. Right. And his con is totally getting out of hand. And he has no idea how to rein it back in. Yeah. So now Charlie's in panic mode. Um, there also was a whole like side plot about one of the reasons that they had gone to him in, in the first place is because they were trying to recover money paid to him for drugs. And I'll just mention that in passing. It's not really that important why they were there, but it is important, you know, that obviously they murdered this poor guy. Yeah. Um, so that happens on uh, that happens in July, July twenty fifth of nineteen sixty nine. Then on the night of August eighth, nineteen sixty nine, um, Tex Tex Watson, Susan Adkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel head to one hundred fifty one zero zero five zero Cielo Drive in Los Angeles, which happens to be the home that was rent- recently rented to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Mm. And that's the night of the Tate, Sebring, Folger, Parent, and Frakowski murders. Yeah. Um, so as we mentioned, you know, through Dennis, um, through Dennis Wilson, Manson had met um, Rudy Altabelli, Right, who yeah. had rented this house out to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Um, so that was kind of his connection. And he knew that they were there. He knew that they were wealthy. So it's a robbery, right? It's it's standard operating procedure, what right. they've always done. Um, so supposedly Manson directs these family members to go out to this home to rob them, right? Um, the family members... Which could have been the case. Right. The family members proceeded to kill all five people that they found. Actress Sharon Tate, who was eight months pregnant at the time. Her unborn child also did not survive. Um, Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger, and uh, Wojciech Frakowski, who were visiting Sharon Tate, and Stephen Parent, who had been visiting the caretaker of the home. Roman Polanski was not present on the night of the murders since he was working on a film in Europe. And it is said that after that, um, after that happened, after Sharon Tate's murder, because Sharon Tate was a like huge star at that time. Yeah. And she was absolutely gorgeous. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. She was also very smart and had a, you know, good career and a good relationship by all intents and purposes with Roman Polanski. Um, but she was gorgeous. She was a star. You know, everybody knew who she was, and it was absolutely like devastating what right. happened. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, Roman Polanski talked for years after that he never got over like his survivor guilt of not being there because he he would have been there if he hadn't been working on that movie. Yeah. And he would have died too. And so, um, it, it's actually really sad to hear him talk about it. Yeah. Um. But uh, the Manson family brutally murders everyone in the home, and Susan Adkins uh, scrawled the word pig in blood on the front door as they left. The murders created a huge, uh, a huge uproar in the, in the nation. Um, it was one of the earlier um, high-profile murders that had taken place. Um, so if you remember, um, 
everything that like what the what the O.J. Simpson trial kind of did to America, mm-hmm. this was similar to that, right? Yeah. We don't have that racial component. The Manson family thinks we will, right? Yeah. But we don't have that racial component here, but it was like such a fucking high-profile thing um, that everybody was just torn apart. Yeah. So the next night, um, August 9th, um, six family members, Leslie Van Houten, um, Steve Grogan, and all four folks from the previous night, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, Patricia Cranwinkle, um, and Tex Watson, they go out again. Um, and they go to, so so the murders at the Tate house happen, yeah. and they're fucking jazzed. Like, they're ready to go. We scrawled pig in blood on the door. Like, we're bringing the, we're bringing the apocalypse about, right? And we're going to go underground, and we're going to be okay, and then we're going to rule the fucking world. And they're, like, on a, like bullet train to fucking crazy town right (laughs) and then you have manson right who is their leader and whose philosophy they're using but manson at this point is you know from reading manson in his own words and then from also reading other sources talking about his actions during that time it seems like manson is not necessarily backpedaling but trying to figure out how to get control right right? because now you know what he has created has like really gone off the end right 100 percent. because again that was a robbery you were supposed to get money you were supposed to get supplies what the fuck right and the next night um the this gang of six people right six manson family members goes out and they're ready to do it again we got to bring about the apocalypse so they um go out again on Manson's orders or not on Manson's orders. It's kind of a gray area. Yeah. Um, allegedly, they were out on his orders. Um, so they were... Um, supposedly, they go out and Manson's goal is to show the gang how to do it, meaning murder, mm-hmm. right? Because he was displeased by all the panic of the victims at Cielo Drive at the Tate House, um, and so he he was going to show them how to murder. So they ride around for a couple hours, and they consider breaking into a number of homes. Um, they even attempt one, but they abandon it. Um, and then Manson gave Kasabian uh, directions that brought them to 3301 Waverly Drive. This was the home of um, supermarket executive Lino LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary LaBianca, who owned a dress shop. So it, this house was just next door to a house that Manson and his family members had attended a party at the previous year. So that's like really the only connection. It's so tenuous. Um, supposedly, according to Susan Atkins and Linda Kasabian, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupants. And then he sent Tex Watson up with Krenwinkel and Van Houten. Um, in his autobiography... Tex Watson said that he went up alone and Manson, that Manson went up alone and he returned to take him up to the house with him. Um, And Manson pointed out a sleeping man through the window. Tex and Manson went in through the unlocked back door and then like basically Tex did most of the work from there, Mm -hmm. which is the account that I believe, right? I don't believe that Charlie Manson fucking, like he's tiny. Have you ever seen the dude? He's like, so tiny. Yeah. He's short and not very muscular. I don't believe that he broke into somebody's home and hogtied two people. Yeah. I think Tex Watson 
this big strapping Texan dude who is gone. The muscle. In the mind. Right. Did it. Um, so te- And Tex actually goes on to say that. He said that um, Manson woke La- uh, Mr. LaBianca up on the couch at gunpoint. And while Manson held him at gunpoint, Tex Watson bound his hands. Right. With a leather strap. And then Rosemary was brought into the living room from the bedroom. And Watson covered their heads with pillowcases. And he also tied her up as well. Um, the pillowcases were bound in place with lamp cords. So Manson leaves, uh, sends the other two up the driveway into the house um, with instructions that the couple could be killed, allegedly. So Tex had complained to Manson about um, the inadequacy of the weapons that they used the previous night at the Tate house. Tex sent the women, um, from the Manson women, from the kitchen to the bedroom and Rosemary Lamianca apparently had gotten loose from her bindings yeah, and yeah. had run into the bedroom. Yeah. Tex went into the living room and began stabbing Lena Lamianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very bloody scene. Um, sounds of a scuffle in the bedroom uh, drew Tex Watson into the bedroom to discover that uh, Rosemary Lamianca was actually fighting off the Manson women by swinging the lamp that was tied to her neck. Because remember, that's he secured bitch. the pillowcases with a lamp cord, and she's like swinging the lamp. That's my bitch, right that there. That's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was a badass. Um, she was fighting. Yeah, she was. Um, so after Tex subdued her with several stabs of the bayonet, he returned to the living room and resumed ta- attacking her husband who was stabbed a total of 12 times with the bayonet. Um, when they had, um, when he had finished, Tex Watson carved war on Mr. LaBianca's exposed abdomen. But that was actually later challenged by Susan Adkins, who she said that she didn't enter the LaBianca house, but that she thought that Patricia Krenwinkel had been the one to carve the word war into Mr. LaBianca's abdomen so that detail goes back and forth between who fucking did it because nobody knows who's doing anything because everybody's hopped up on fucking drugs right and nobody knows like half of this is real and half of it is not real and like we're fucking doing some kind of shit for a race war and we're like carving obscure words like war and pigs into people and yeah so nobody knows what the fuck's going on but uh after uh murdering mr labianca uh Tex Watson returns to the bedroom and finds Patricia Krenwinkel stabbing Rosemary LaBianca with a knife that she had gotten from the LaBianca's kitchen. Um, Tex said that he was uh, heeding Charlie Manson's instruction to make sure that each of the women played a part in the murders. Um, Tex Watson said that he told Leslie Van Houten to stab Rosemary LaBianca as well. And she did, stabbing her approximately 16 times in the back. And at trial, Leslie Van Houten would claim uh, that Rosemary LaBianca was dead when she had stabbed her. So she tried to get out of it that way Mm. by saying she was already dead. Um, But evidence showed that a lot of her 41 stab wounds were inflicted post-mortem. So they don't fucking know what's going on. They have no idea what's happening. They're hopped up on drugs. They're fucking just swirling in this helter-skelter. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is yeah, helter-skelter. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So Tex Watson cleans off the bayonet and showers. Uh, and Krenwinkel writes rise and death to pigs on the walls and helter skelter. And the fucking idiot misspells helter skelter. Yeah. She wrote helter skelter. <laughs> yeah. H-E-A-L. Yeah. <laughs> so she writes that, she fucking misspells that, embarrassing, on the refrigerator door, all in uh, the LaBianca's blood. Uh, she reportedly gave Lino LaBianca 14 postmortem puncture wounds uh, with an ivory handled two-tined, two-tined? I don't know what that means. Carving tined. fork. It's the tines in the, the fork. It's like the carving fork when you get a turkey uh, and you put the, the fork in and that allows you to carve it. Well, apparently that's what she used to stab him 14 times. Yeah, mm, not good. Uh, which she just left jutting out of his stomach. And she also planted a steak knife in his throat. Uh, yeah. So apparently um, Manson was... Uh, apparently Manson had gone on to direct uh, Linda Kasabian to drive to the home of another actor acquaintance of hers. Um, and he was supposedly, like, he left three other Manson family members um, at that guy's apartment building. And they were supposed to, like, break in and kill him. But... They didn't. They, like, knocked on the wrong fucking apartment door and, like, woke up a stranger and the guy, like, came to the door and they didn't know who it was. So they just, like, awkwardly abandoned their murder plot and, like, left. Um, okay. First of all, that guy had a brush with death. hundred <laughs> percent. <100%. laughs> like, can um, you imagine just, like, you get a knock on your door in the night and you, like, open it and it's just, like, this fucking weird-ass group of cult people who are zonked out of their minds and their people who are, like, the fucking size of, like... Texas and they're just like oh wrong idea yeah immediately closed door <laughs> yeah but I don't understand like it seems to me like they would have just went you know like oh oh well it's not the right guy but we'll we do it anyway yeah right, right. you know what yes, I mean like yes yeah so it's kind of like that's what I'm saying like they could have very well just have right. said fuck it and went in right. anyway but that tells you that they have no fucking idea what they're doing this is not something that is organized by a fucking mastermind this is not something that makes any logical sense this is charles manson trying to continue to call the shots when he knows that he has lost the playbook right yeah that you know that the incident at the murders at the tate house really i believe shook charlie up because they were supposed to go and rob those people and then they ended up like fucking murdering them yeah. Right? Horrifically. And then he saw what they were capable of. And then he's trying to get control by doing these things that are acting like a leader. So he takes them out and he's like, okay, we're going to do it again. Right? He shows up at the LaBianca house. He leaves before the murders take place. Right? He shows up. He sends these people to this guy's apartment with obviously unclear instructions. Right? And just drops them off. He heads back to the to the to um, their like commune. Right? And leaves them to do their job. They don't. And they eventually just kind of like wander back to the homestead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not before Susan Adkins uh, shat in the stairwell, apparently. Yeah. That's a great detail for you. <laughs> well, so. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Yes. So, um, to me, what we're seeing there is things spinning out of control and Charles Manson trying to maintain the image of being in control of it. But I truly do not believe that at that point he's it, in control. No, Nobody's I, in I've control. I've never thought that it sounded like it was 
that he was in control. There is no control. Now, that's not me saying that it's not Charles Manson's fault. I am not a Manson apologist. Uh, I definitely think that he deserved to be in prison for the rest of his life. He was a super fucking dangerous person, but he is not a criminal, like a sexy criminal mastermind. He's a fucking idiot con artist whose con got ahead of him and he lost control. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. So the Tate murders obviously uh, became national news immediately. Uh, The Polanski's um, housekeeper, whose name was Winifred Chapman, uh, had arrived for work the morning after, and she discovered this horrible scene, which that poor woman, um, I feel so bad for her. Uh, the next day, detectives of the Los yeah. Angeles County Sheriff's Department um, had uh, informed LAPD of the writing at the Hemmons house, right? Mm. So you have um, writing at the Tate house, you have writing at Hemmons house, and the county police call LAPD to tell them about it. Um, however, LAPD thought that the Tate murders were just the consequence of a drug action, of a drug transaction, and they totally just ignored the Hinman case initially, completely. Okay. Um, Smart. Yeah, yeah. Always a great choice. Um, the La Bianca uh, crime scene was discovered on August 10th at around 10.30 p.m., um, about 19 hours after the murders had taken place. Um, 15-year-old Frank Struthers, uh, who was Rosemary's son from a prior marriage and Lino's stepson, had returned from a camping trip and was disturbed by seeing all of the window shades at his home drawn and by the fact that his stepfather's speedboat was still attached to the family car, which was parked in the driveway. So he called his older sister and her boyfriend. And the boyfriend, um, Joe Dorgan, accompanied Frank Struthers into the home, and they discovered Lino's body. Mm. And he was 15. So that's absolutely horrible and yeah. a fucking nightmare and the worst. Um they discovered Lino's body together. Rosemary's body was found by um, investigating police officers. So they didn't, at that point, I don't think they went any further into the home. Um, the police officers found Rosemary, which at least that's some sort of small break, I guess, for that poor kid. But I feel really, really, really bad for him. Yeah. Um, so basically... I'm not going to go into all of the crazy details because it's already a super long-winded story. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details of the investigation, but eventually um, they do connect the Hinman murder and the Tate murders and the LaBianca homicide. Um, and the Manson family was actually in, already in trouble with the police because they had been stealing Volkswagen Beetles and converting... God yes. damn it. Yes. Here we go again. Yes. God fucking damn it. All right. Now, now this sounds like Manson. I feel like it, this is right. fully Manson. 100% Manson, right? This, again, fucking stealing cars. So they're stealing Volkswagen what Beetles. What have I told you? What have I told you? <laughs> what have I told you? They're stealing Beetles and converting them into dune buggies for their, like, desert homestead. And they've already, so they were picked up on charges related to that on August 16th. Um, they seized some weapons, but um, because the warrant was misdated, the group was released a couple days later. Um, so they arrest them and they have them and they just let them go. God damn it. Because the warrant was misdated. Who did that? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Did so, someone lose their job? I, I'm sure a lot of people lost their job over this. So um, eventually all of the cases get connected. Um, and uh, Boussoulet's uh, girlfriend, uh, Kitty Lutzinger, um, she was arrested and she, you know, opened up about like the Hinman murder and all of those being connected. Um, so eventually all of them get picked up. Once uh, people get picked up, they start singing uh, like canaries. And eventually um, we have um, on December 1st, LAPD announcing warrants for the arrest of Tex Watson, Patricia Kringwinkle, um, Linda Kasabian in the t- case, um, and Manson and uh, Susan Adkins, who were already in custody, weren't mentioned in that particular um, press release or warrants because they were already arrested uh for i think they were they got booked for like some type of i think they picked him up like the park rangers fucking picked him up for the dude buggy thing i have no idea basically they got him and on march 29th 1971 the jury returned verdicts of death against all um all of the defendants on all counts and on April 19th, 1971, they were sentenced uh, to death, which was later commuted to life in prison, as we know, for Charlie Manson, um, because Manson died on November 19th, 2017, from cardiac arrest resulting from respiratory failure and colon cancer um, at a hospital in Bakersfield, California. And he can go to hell. Well... Which circle do you believe he's in, Katie? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's a long, convoluted story, and there's a lot that we skipped over, obviously, to make it fit. Um, But we did, you know, want to talk about it because, you know, it is coming up on 50 years. You could go many episodes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Like, this is a rabbit hole. Such a deep dive. (laughs) Yes. Because there's so many weird connections between, like, the Manson family and, like, really famous celebrities at the time period. Well, you mentioned that thing about the the Beach Boys guy, and yeah. I didn't realize that at all. Yeah. I love the Beach Boys, but... Yeah. Well, there you go. It's <laughs> a, a dark twist on him. Damn. Yes. Um, and this was a time... This was such a... Um, this I remember um, my first exposure to this case was um, when I was really, really little because my mother had the book, Helter Skelter. Yeah. And it had all of the pictures... From the crime scene in it, mm-hmm. or at least some of them. So could you imagine me, just like little five-year-old, six-year-old me, whatever, and I'm just, you know, I've got this book full of all these pictures in it, and like still to this day, those images are like burned into my brain. Great. Yeah, most kids have Fisher-Price, like, toys <laughs> and books and shit, and you know, you're playing with Helter Skelter. I'm reading Helter Skelter, yeah. Um, but it was... That's okay. I was reading um, and and I was books like... on uh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah. I was reading The Stranger Beside Me oh at my like God. eight. Could you imagine just showing the parallels, and then there's me with the fucking Helter Skelter <laughs> Not book. Not acceptable. And then you with that. Oh, my God. But this really... Um, I mean, you mentioned the fact, you know, like Sharon Tate was such a huge, um, you know, uh, celebrity at that time. But like that really sort of this high profile case really changed a lot of things. Like, you know, this was the year, you know, this was the decade of like, you know, the hippie flower piece, whatever. And then like it just sort of came to a complete fucking halt with these murders. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and there are um, there are some alternative theories. Uh, there's one particular interesting alternative theory to the Helter Skelter scenario. So the main story that we're told is that, you know, the group is trying to commit these murders to bring about the apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. And to bring about the, the race war, to bring about Helter Skelter. Um, but according to Boussoulet in interviews with Truman Capote, um, notably and a, a couple other reporters, it was actually Boussoulet's arrest for the torture and murder of Gary Hinman that instigated the Manson family's ensuing murder spree. So they're saying that when when Bobby Boussoulet got picked up for torturing and murdering Gary Hinman, that UCLA student, mm-hmm. um, PhD student, that the Manson family then decided that they would go on a murder spree to convince police that the killers of Gary Hinman were still at large. Mm. So that it couldn't be him, so that he would be released. So that is also kind of cited as a secondary motive for the murders. And that makes sense to me. Like, if you were hopped up on drugs, that makes sense to me that that could be like a, oh, shit, how do we get Bobby out of trouble? Right. Um, so just thought that I would mention that because that's always interesting. Yeah. Too. But it was fucked up. Wow. Super fucked. Charles Manson, I- an idiot. I would have to be. Uh, that that sounds very plausible to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can. I don't just don't. From everything that you know, we've talked about today, I definitely just sort of get the vibe that he was not that fucking smart. No, no, no. But he certainly uh, performed for the cameras in the court cases. But with I the, think with the even, swastika carving and all that. Right. Shit. But I think even though we may deem him as not very intelligent or actually like smart, I mean, there is something to say about how dangerous someone that can like work portray that they are or Mm -hmm. project i should say Mm -hmm. i guess that i guess what i'm trying to say is that shows the dangers of the powers of perception right you know what i mean right and how like you may not be that smart but how you can twist it right um to make it to make yourself appear right however you want to be it comes down to if you think that I have the power to do to make you do something, mm-hmm. then I do. Yes. And I don't think that Charles Manson was any smarter or more cunning or more of a mastermind than anyone else. But I do think that he had a gift for people, for understanding people, and for being able to look at a person and see what what they were missing, what hole there was in their spirit. And then he was able to slip right in and he was able to manipulate. I don't think to the degree that he's having people murder for him. Um, I think that they were doing that out of their own drug fueled, you know, insanity. Um, But he was able to manipulate them. And I'm very glad that he went to prison for the rest of his fucking days. Yeah. So that's Manson people. (laughs) There you go. You wanted a big one. That's a big one. That is a big one. A big Um, one. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, I wanted uh, to bookend us on something a little lighthearted. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah? More lighthearted than horrible racial uh, race war? Yeah. yeah I wanted great. to bu- uh, bookend us great. on something that's a little, that was a little lighthearted. So I just have a couple of a very short um, topical uh, 
Valentine's horror stories that I'm just going to briefly mention. Just Let's to, go so for it. Give us a, a little, a, a bit it. of a, a giggle, hopefully. <laughs> bit of a giggle. <laughs> All right. So this is a story. One ex went to a strip club for our first Valentine's Day together and didn't come to my place until 3 a.m. Covered in body glitter and uh, alcohol. And another gave me cellulite cream. And miscellaneous <gasps> Christmas lotions no. and lip balm. Cellulite cream. Oh, no. <laughs> that is terrible because you don't know in that story if he was trying to be a dick or, God bless. If, if he, he just didn't if know. If he just didn't know. If he, he thought it was like lotion and he just like smelled it and thought it smelled really good. And he was like, I'll get her this. And he just Actually fucking, cellulite cream. Oh, my God. I well, can see that. Well, I just feel like he was probably not a great gift giver because it was cellulite so. cream, miscellaneous Christmas lotions, and lip balm from <laughs> Avon that his mom gave him. Great. Good. Good. <laughs> I think all that came out of mom's like closet. This person goes on to say, the only man who's ever given me a nice valentine has always been my daddy oh that's beautiful that's very sweet uh that's how i feel about my mom my mom has always like made valentine's day special yeah she's a very sweet lady all right my next one uh i was married for three years the last year we were married he didn't get me what i wanted roses instead he got me cheesecake okay <laughs> Okay. okay. What I, kind of what basic kind of fucking bitch? bitch is this right here? Listen, uh-uh. no, I, I, but listen, too bad I'm lactose intolerant and also very allergic to eggs, soy, and milk. Oh, no. He also knew I was. Okay, what a what a bitch. I mean, not her, now him. Um, wow. Bitch, I got this cheesecake for me. I mean, 100%, I would be like, I would be about the cheesecake. You can miss me with them roses. For I real. mean, roses are nice, but... Yeah, cheesecake is better. I mean, roses and cheesecake is great. Yeah. (laughs) All right, next one. Last Valentine's Day, I went on a blind date. He took me to this fabulous little sushi spot, and things were going great. It comes up in conversation that he is a black belt in Taekwondo. Hmm. Okay. The next thing I know, I've been secured in what he referred to as a cobra chokehold. I bet it was, I mean, this just sounds like foreplay I bet it was a cobra chokehold. In his attempts to teach me some of his moves, mm-hmm. let's just say I won't be going on a blind date this Valentine's Day. I mean, there's a time and place for the Cobra chokehold. I'm just saying. Uh, it's not the restaurant, <laughs> um, but it could be somewhere else. Like, it could if, be. if you make it that far, <laughs> you know what I uh-huh. mean? Could have been. We could have had it all. We could have. <laughs> we could have. All right. I complained to my boyfriend of 10 years that I never get flowers. So the next year, I got a box of assorted flowers, F-L-O-U-R-S. God bless him. He thought he was this funny. This motherfucker. I wasn't laughing. No, I love him. No, that shit is funny. It's, oh, my God. I don't see no. what your problem is. It sounds like uh-uh. you don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> That's great. You could send him my way. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, I'll do one more. Assorted flowers. I wonder if it was like almond flour, like coconut flour, white flour, wheat flour, Uh maybe some panko breadcrumbs in there too. Hey, listen, (laughs) you would appreciate it though. I would. And also get the joke. We'd be eating good all year and I'd be laughing. It's fine. (laughs) I'm going to make you some cheesecake. Next one. uh, And last one I'll do. Um, Because we are severely over our time. (laughs) 
<laughs> my, my high school boyfriend bought me a pair of used ankle boots from a yard sale. Mm. He was proud of himself for adding shoe polish before he gave them to me. God, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just... You know, used... Mm. It's not good. Use gift cards. Boots. Gift cards are always good. I will say some people just are not good gift givers. If you're not, don't ever be afraid of the gift card. Mm-mm. It's fine. And also, if you're with somebody who you know is a poor gift giver, just go ahead and tell them what you want. Just go ahead and tell them. Okay. You know, <laughs> don't stop being bougie. Stop trying to like think that he's gonna like know what you want or she's gonna know what you want. Just go ahead and let him know. No shame in that. Okay, I actually have one more. <laughs> In junior, yeah, in junior high, I bought a box of chocolates to give to a boy I had a crush on, but uh, had never approached. I gave him the candy, and he laughed in my face and still took it. <laughs> Is there a year on that? Was that you? Uh, I think you. that might have been you. Fuck you. I think that might have been you. That was funny. So You would do that, uh. you asshole. <laughs> No, I wouldn't have because I don't fucking like chocolate candy. Valentine's. Oh, true. <laughs> I mean, I think he'd probably still take it if offered. I'd still take it, Let's but then real. wouldn't eat it. Mm, maybe. I would have given it to you. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, all right, guys. That's going to be our episode. It was a long one. Yeah. If you're still here, man, I hope you took some breaks and like did some stuff around your house. Mm-hmm. I hope you got some water. Like... Took a snack break. Yep. Um, it's our longest episode ever. Um, but thanks for hanging out. If you want to chill with us online, uh, we have a banging ass Facebook group. It is awesome and it is growing by the day, which is really cool. Um, if you search the Haunted Heart podcast on Facebook, you can find our group. Our page, the Haunted Heart, is also on Facebook. If you will go over and like that page that would be fabulous we share news there um and sometimes like pictures and shit like that um but the group is really where it's at there's a lot of people that are way cooler than us there so i definitely encourage everybody to get on over there and get into that we are on instagram at the haunted heart podcast we're also on twitter at the haunted heart and if you ever want to email us about anything on the show about probably the 50 fucking things that i got wrong about charles manson you can hit us up at the haunted heart podcast at Mm gmail.com anytime Uh, We love hearing from you guys on there. And uh, we are also, I know I mentioned it as a joke earlier in the episode, but we are also on Patreon. So if you think that we do a good job with the show and you want to support us, we really sincerely appreciate it. Every cent of the Patreon money goes right back into the show and to creating more content for you guys. Uh, We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash the haunted heart. And I think that's all of our socials and shit, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a surprise for you guys this week yes. uh, that will be dropping sometime later in the week. I'm not, we know when it's dropping. We just don't want to tell you specifically when it's dropping. I'm not being vague because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. I'm being vague like because I'm trying to be, <laughs> I'm trying to be suspicious. <laughs> Sometime at some point in the near future. I'm just saying, if you want to like keep an eye on your podcast feed this weekend, it might not be a bad idea. Suspicious. Yes, quite. So that's all for this week, and we will see you guys next. Well, we won't see you. We won't hear you either, but you'll hear us. I guess you'll hear us next time <laughs> on the Haunted Heart Podcast. And until next time.
Stay spooky. There's a time for living. The time keeps on flying. Think you're loving, baby, and all you're doing is crying. Can you feel? Ah, those feelings real. Look at your game, girl. Look at your game, girl. What a mad delusion. Living in that confusion. Frustration and doubt. Can you ever live without the game? The sad, sad game. You can't be true You can tell those lies, baby But you're only fooling you Can you feel Are those feelings real? Look at your game, girl oh, Look at your game, girl If you can't feel And the feelings ain't real Then you better stop trying Sad, sad game 